Welcome to Coffee, Eggs and Inspiration. It's a weekly show that goes out over YouTube and as a podcast over all of the major channels. And each week I get to sit with an amazingly inspiring person and listen to, listen to them tell their story and share it with all of you. This week is no different. I'm joined by Giovanni Donaldson. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, as, as usual, I'll give uh, Giovanni a bit of a, uh, uh, an intro, a bit of a background, oh, but I do have actually some, some news here. For the first time, <laughs> I have eggs, <laughs> a boiled egg and some scrambled eggs. I haven't actually eaten any yet. I may, have, I may nibble during the, <laughs> during the interview, but uh, I did promise in a couple of videos that I'd do this, so fantastic new milestone for the channel. So Gio, uh, was born in Italy, actually uh, grew up uh, like me in New Zealand, so we have that connection. We did. Though we never met. No, we didn't. Uh, at that time, and we, we went to the same school, I think, for about a year. Yeah. Uh, but um, you know, spent uh, spent a life uh, lifetime, an early lifetime at least, uh, growing up in the idyllic surroundings of Auckland uh, in New Zealand. After university, University of Auckland um, fell into consulting. Uh, and um, very quickly um, moved into Bain & Company, uh, which is a great uh, strategy consulting company uh, in Sydney. So that was the first move uh, abroad uh, and then subsequently to, uh, to Italy, to Rome. And we'll, we'll get into the, uh, the background to that. Giovanni Donaldson, you get the sort of uh, Italian thread there. Um, uh, after a while in consulting, uh, moved into an airline uh, in, in a rather exotic location, which we'll talk about. Uh, ultimately, um, extending that sort of interest in travel uh, by coming into the Virgin Empire uh, with Richard Branson uh, pretty early on and did a number of roles over a period of almost 10 years, nine years, I think it mm -hmm. was, right? Just uh, yeah, and uh, founded a number of um, the uh, uh, the Virgin Empire uh, brands. Uh, then uh, branched out uh, on his own, founded Side Story, mm -hmm. which is a uh, uh, an interesting experiential travel um, channel, I guess, mm -hmm. a, a website that was uh, ultimately uh, acquired by Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yep. Just last year. Just last year. Gosh, it's yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, I was going through. I was saying to Gio, I was going through the LinkedIn just sort of get get the bio this morning, and I was thinking I'm going to be late for this meeting. It was like there's so much there. I was scrolling down and down. You've you've had a uh, uh, three lifetimes of experience here. Uh, so after Side Story, um, you know, has uh, has done a portfolio of directorships and advisory roles. Uh, currently, a partner in Founders Intelligence, which is part of the Founders Forum. Uh, started by Brent uh, Hoberman and mm -hmm. a few of his colleagues. Okay, I've missed a whole lot of stuff there. Uh, <laughs> but that, so that's the abridged version. It's a pretty impressive and extensive archipelago of experience, I would say. Uh, take us back. I mean, what what was what was going through your mind when you were at university, thinking about where to go next? Mm. You went into consulting. Yeah, the, um, I mean, I, uh, the degree I studied was in commerce um, and law, so I, you know, I thought something in business, actually many of my friends and colleagues went into uh, law, and that seemed like a natural thing to do. Yeah, like okay, me. you do too, yeah. <laughs> and, and that, I think, I think uh, you know, professionally that made sense, you needed to get a professional qualification, good to get that in early. And as much as I enjoyed studying law, 
uh, and I enjoyed, you know, thinking through the logic and, you know, how to present the case, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I was more drawn towards the business side. Right. And uh, was that? Well, at university, I, I think it was just the problems that it just it more. I think, I think it was being able to get into them more meaningfully. Yeah. Um, that isn't say you don't in, in in a legal context, but you are sort of yeah. It's just in a different approach, and so uh, you know the, these ideas of working for the likes of McKinsey, when Bain and BCG and others, uh, LEK was also quite big at the time. And, in Auckland. These are all management consulting companies. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Uh, you know, I, I hadn't really come across them before and friends yeah. were talking about them and I started looking into them and I thought, well, that sounds What is like, that? Yeah, what is that? That sounds like a, that sounds like a great start to, a, to one's career. Um, and, and so, you know, that that was sort of an intro into, yeah, that, that's a part that was going to take. Right, right. It is a great, uh, a great intro into into business because you get to sort of do business tourism, don't you? You get to work with different companies. Totally. <clears throat> I had a very similar start actually. I stumbled and fell the other side of the line and went into law and it took me quite a while to recover from that. Uh, still, <laughs> still recovering. Actually, with one recovering. Like, you meet many of them actually, recovering yeah, lawyers. It's yeah. a good foundation. It's a good foundation. Uh, and then you were drawn uh, almost, um, uh, well, pretty soon on into Sydney. Yes, that's right. So, um, so earlier, I mean, just prior to joining Ben, I was doing uh, work with a with a uh, local and highly regarded uh, firm, RIT and Associates. It was a lot of fun. About 120 people doing IT, as it was called back then. So, IT consulting. There was a few sort of tackling strategy and IT strategy. But uh, as much as I enjoyed it, and the people were fantastic, I think the the thing that Bain offered, or the, the opportunity for working for an international management consultant, yeah. was just being a bit more global and being able to lift your head up and see what was going on in the world. And and a very easy step was moving to Sydney, sort yeah. of from from Auckland. Um, and uh, I also felt like I needed to, you know, I'd spent. Just the way that my family's circumstances were set up, I just felt like I needed to do a step, uh, but not go halfway around the world straight away. And so moving to Sydney was a good first step for that. And uh, so sent out my CV, and Ben and Company wasn't based in Australia, uh, New Zealand at the time, and did the whole video conference call in, right, in a suite yeah. as it was back then, and uh, and I was lucky enough to be flowing over. Those big Cisco suites. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> with a controller in the room, and he's trying to manage the internet connection I guess because it was that, that ISDN or something anyway uh, was a you know went through all the rounds of interviews and yes uh, was lucky enough to be selected and joined in 99 amazing yeah uh, you've triggered me on this memory you know many people watching this may not know what a Cisco suite is but these were telepresence suites yes I, I think they cost about two hundred and fifty thousand yeah, dollars yeah and it was sort of uh, three or four screens stitched together um, an incredibly complicated series of numbers that you had to enter in order to reach somebody on the yeah. other side. And yeah. Of course, today you just do it over a smartphone. Yeah. Uh, how times have changed. Yeah. No, it was uh, yeah a suite in the university, and it was just you know how to get in there and organise it, and there was someone yeah. there, and yeah, so it, it all worked. Nerve-wracking, and this is the late '90s, early 2000s. Yes, that's right? right. Yeah, so it was which of course is the internet bubble. Yeah, and and I remember actually, I have a I have a very distinct memory um, being at drinks one evening and, and having just joined. And someone said, "Gio, why are you why are you joining Bankham? You should be out there, you know, doing internet stuff." And it's like, I mean, he made a very good point. I mean, I. I <laughs> 
And you know, looking back, you know, had I known what I know now, maybe maybe a different path. But uh, as it was, I was excited to be at Bain. What stopped you at the time? Um, I think I just I don't know if I would really. Yeah, I, don't, I just don't know if I was in that those circles that were seeing what was going on in that way. Um, but certainly, arriving in Sydney, being exposed to it in the way that I was, you know, yes, uh, you know, I sort of woke up to that, and um, and you know, but I was still very excited about being at Bain, and yeah. and you know, already, you know, after going through the first trainings and other other yeah. things, really felt like I could learn a lot, right. and so I was very excited. Yeah, it's a it's a great company, all right. Um, lots of friends who've worked there. Um, but then a, a, a shocking turn uh, of events, or not shocking, but surprising anyway, uh, you fell into an airline called Tucker Airlines and it was based in... Yes, El Salvador. So, I mean, uh, yeah, so the, there was a stint in Sydney, a stint in Italy, so I transferred there, which was uh, a little unusual at the time. And I, I really enjoyed the, the two experience, actually. Um, uh, the, the, the former was quite... Um, Deep in terms of the engagements, the second was much much shorter. Exposed that to lots of different things in Rome, exactly. Yeah. But I, you know, after a couple of years there, as much as I love living in Italy uh, and go back frequently for family and other reasons, you know, the, uh, working in Italy always had it's it's not as easy. Um, I think you share some yes. <laughs> Similar views, and and I, even Italians share similar views. By the way, so I don't think we're <laughs> I don't think we're uh, outsiders in that respect. Um, but so I was looking for a change, and I was lucky enough to be uh, called by um, uh, an old friend and mentor at the time I'd worked closely with when I was in Sydney. He had moved, and a bunch of guys that I knew well had moved to El Salvador, so that's the location. Um, and uh, we were. And we were. Um, <laughs> so this, 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 that's not going to get edited. This is this is the beauty of YouTube. Yeah, yeah, Somebody just busted into the room and said, "We've got this book." Oh no, we haven't. Sorry. So here we are. Here we are. It's fine. <laughs> El Salvador. Uh, El Salvador, indeed. And um, and you know, the, for me, it was less. I mean, El Salvador was a great experience. I'll, I'll tell more about it in a sec. But for me, it was just exciting to work back with you know these old buddies, these friends in an industry that I was excited about, as challenging as it may be. And uh, look, a chance to see the world, and, and uh, you know, that was, that was a sort of a blessing. Was it dangerous at the time, or is it like Actually, that just my ignorance? Of no, and, and look, to, you know, I probably was not, uh, the, the short answer is no. Short answer is no. It was actually a relatively calm period. You know, post-Civil War, things had calmed down. You know, there were still some niggles, but generally speaking, it yeah. calmed down. And certainly pre-everything that we now know subsequently and, and some of the challenges that the country and the whole region actually has faced. But at the time, it was relatively benign and um, uh, we, we traveled uh, the country. We did have a guard, you know, so we did have that. But to be honest, you know, nothing happened. And I think for the whole time, a group of us experts were there from various different countries and, and not only from Taka, but other multinationals who were yeah. based in the time. And I was only aware of one one incident, and it was you know a wallet in the street, and that could have happened anywhere to be honest. Right. So, so yeah, it was a it was a great. That's the first top tip from Geo Donaldson on on travel: catch a country early after the Civil War and travel <laughs> with a <the> guard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you're there for uh, a couple of years. Actually, yes. in in Italy, you. You, uh, you're very modest because you didn't say this. You actually took some time out and learned Italian. I did. So you're bilingual. I did. I did. Yes, yes, I've become bilingual. I mean, I was exposed to Italian when I was younger, but never in a way that allowed me to learn it as a language. And um, uh, 
small family story. I was separated from my father when I was quite young, and so, uh, and whilst we had moments to sort of reconnect in our past, I never really had that opportunity to sort of get to know. Uh, and my did he speak English? He did. He was a. Uh, that's how we met my mum. Actually, he was a tour guide in uh, okay. uh, for for Pom in Pompeii and that sort of area. Right. Anyway, that's how they met. And, yeah long uh, relationship uh, then ensued but um, yeah so he spoke uh, English, German and, and French and others but the so uh, for me it was an opportunity to, you know get back to my Italian roots you know learn what it was like to live yeah. in Italy and, and be part of that learn the language get to know my family yeah. um, aunties uncles cousins the whole thing yeah. so it was a great experience and and you know Bain helped make that happen actually so Brilliant. it was amazing uh, that they they allowed that one challenge was though I had to learn Italian that was the one condition and so I did this intensive Italian course and nothing like being a stone or something it was similar similar yeah. in lingua private teacher the whole thing um but but i think the most formative thing was just being around you know my family who yeah. didn't speak a word of english apart right from my dad so yeah. for me it was you know i was sick or swim yeah exactly gimbal died now we're reset we're <laughs> reset. up and running again and we're back in el salvador <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so look. Well, um, actually, we were in Italy, but we we're on our way back to our Salvador. So yeah, look, I um, learned Italian and and was able to you know live and work in Italy, which was a dream come true. Yeah. So yeah. that was great. Fantastic. And um, from Tucker Airlines and the experience in our Salvador, you moved uh, to Virgin. Yes. Virgin Atlantic. And yes, that's how, right. how did that connection happen? How did they? Yeah, so I, you know, I worked closely with, when I was in Australia. I worked closely with airline execs there, and said as it was in the day. And uh, many of them had taken on senior positions within the Virgin Atlantic uh, airline. Uh, I reached out. I, I uh, needed to come back to Europe, Italy, more specifically. My father was uh, wasn't well, and so I was looking at options to come back. And, and these guys were, you know, had some work that needed to be done. So I joined initially as a consultant, and then joined full time. But yeah, that's how that worked. And, um, yeah, so and that was in London. London. It was in London, yes, yeah. yes. And you met uh, Richard Branson. So Richard Branson. I, I had. Say. So yes, I did. I did. I mean, it wasn't until I joined Virgin Group that those opportunities uh, arose. Um, but yeah, I was. I met him, and uh, was very. Yeah, it was. It was a dream come true for me growing up in New Zealand. To, yeah. I don't know if you have similar memories, but Virgin was sort of, you know, Virgin Records and yeah, uh, you know, the airline certainly uh, back in the day, I mean, there was a yeah. lot. And so, yeah, it was super exciting uh, to eventually, you know, work at Virgin Atlantic and then subsequently. Yeah, I remember it was, it was probably one of the first business books I read, actually, Losing My Virginity. That's right, that's it. I read for me too, I think. Yeah. And uh, yeah, got what an inspirational story of totally. the sort of the, the small uh, against the big totally. and uh, everything that followed is um, incredible. So you, you started in the uh, airline, yes. uh, Virgin Atlantic. Yes. How many planes did it have at that time? Yeah, not, not, not as many as you might think. Uh, I need to think back roughly 30, 35 I'd yeah. say. But, but the difference was, and what made it quite unique, is they were all long haul aircraft. So, yeah. You know, Tucker may have had the same, but they're all short hauls. Right. So, you know, single aisle. These were twin aisles, seven four seven. Yeah. You know, so they were. Is that more profitable than the long haul? Uh, it, it can be certainly, and you know, the transatlantic route is certainly the, yeah. the most important market uh, globally. So, uh, you know, Virgin Atlantic, uh, right, flying across the Atlantic. It had many other routes into Asia and Africa and others, but what was, uh, yeah. So look, it was a, it was a unique 
in, in that respect, yeah. uh, long haul uh, and, and sort of tightly located in, yeah. in, uh, in Heathrow. And, uh, and and that then, I mean, Virgin's obviously a conglomerate. Is yes. that the right word for it? Do you think, or is Probably, it a series of companies? Yeah, I think I think from the outside, people might think of it as a conglomerate, um, which is not unreasonable. I mean, you know, Richard sort of has been for for, for decades almost a spokesman for everything, and and, and to a large degree that that makes sense. But actually, internally, it's set up more as pri you know, uh, branded private equity, right. branded venture capital, that sort of a mix. Yeah. And so, really, it's a small, effectively, head office or family office, right. uh, which is which was where I was working. And then the various operating teams and the various businesses, and the, the main difference is they have other shareholders. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. each business, and in some cases, to the extreme that it's just a license agreement. Uh, to use the brand, to use the brand, exactly. okay. and then in some instances, majority control. And you went into Virgin Holidays, uh, uh, well, after Virgin Atlantic, right? Uh, so, it's, well, when I joined Virgin Group, I was uh, some of the responsibilities I had to take on was to help manage the portfolio, and so one of those was uh, Virgin Holidays. So I joined the board there, and gotcha. it was in more in relation to my work more broadly, as okay, gotcha. Yeah, helping look after the the travel side of the yeah. of the of the Virgin Group. So, what was the highlight for you working in the Virgin Group. You were there almost ten years. Yeah, really interesting company. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, incredible people. Um, that that was a massive highlight, um, and you know, uh, just the and uh, obviously very exciting to be in and around the brand. And you know, there was lots of fun things. And you know, I think from a professional experience, you know, quite different. Uh, yeah. So for that, it was definitely different. Now. Different, just culturally, there was you know, it, they they the. Yeah said a lot, it's a little cliche, work hard, play hard, but it was a little of that, right? Yeah. This idea that you could do great work, but you could also have a balance and have, you know, good lifestyle and, yeah. and, and you could find a way to make the two work together. And I, that, was, that was particularly appealing. But one massive highlight to go to your question was, um, did a number of different things. I was able to launch a business with Richard, but I think ultimately it was um, uh, together with a, with a core team of us, we, we did a really important deal for Virgin Atlantic. And that was um, helping facilitate, you know, Singapore selling, Delta buying, doing a big joint venture, um, uh, reorganizing some things internally. But that was very transformational, I think, for the airline, for the group, um, and that was very exciting to be a part of, right? Something really big yeah. and chunky like that. Very uh, formative uh, time in the history of the airline. Yeah. And the business you launched at Virgin was uh, di digital publishing, right? That's right. Yes, and uh, that was, you know, I was. Um, up with them the other day, there was a bunch of people very senior within Virgin. I had this idea that you know we should consider how we can get into publishing, how can we get Richard's voice, how can we talk more about entrepreneurs, maybe use the, the airlines as a platform. Suddenly the iPad was coming out, maybe that's the future, right. maybe we should do something on the iPad. And together with uh, head of brand at the time, Catherine Solway, uh, we worked on building a, an idea that maybe we could just do more in and around content, right. taking on this new technology. Uh, we found partner, a partner to do this, um, and uh, we launched a magazine in 2010, online, iPad only. So it was pretty amazing, pretty new stuff. Um, Holly got involved. Richard was there, of course, uh, and we had a great launch in New York, and and a uh, lot of positive, positive feedback, kicking, kicking that whole. Off, yeah. So it sounds like, that, am I right in saying that was the first time though that, that you kind of did a startup, right? It was. Within a, a corporate totally environment, right. but uh, yeah. did that give you the... Yeah, I don't think they called it back then, but 
felt like an entrepreneur and residence of a sort. Right. You know? But yeah, totally. It was amazing. And yeah. did, did that uh, fuel you? Because what yes. happened next is you took the giant leap outside, I think. Yes, that's right. And did uh, side side your own business. That's right. Yeah. So linking the the two things together, I, I think you're totally right. I was like, that was an amazing experience, and we learned a lot from that. Um, and you know, having done the deal, as I mentioned earlier, it was time to take on some new challenges. I wanted to get closer to, again to technology and uh, Side Story, which was a travel experiences site, felt to me solved a problem that existed in the value chain of travel. So talk a bit more about that. What, uh, what was the value proposition? Uh, it kicked off with a personal experience. I was traveling with my wife in Seville and you know, we, I was looking for something new and different and unique for us to, to do and uh, my idea was a photographer. I thought it would be great to see Seville with a photographer, learn how to use the camera and I thought you know that would be just a different lens on, on the city. Uh, so, to speak. so to speak. <laughs> uh, but it was really hard to find, right? It was really hard to organize. And, and I just packed it, you know, did it all, found a way to make it work. And we met this guy, fantastic. But I literally reached out over the phone and said, Look, you look like a great photographer. He was again, Would you be up for this? And I said, Yeah, totally fine. Did it. But then there's this whole really awkward moment when after it, which was a great experience, you yeah. had to get out the cash. How much do I pay you? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> it just felt weird. But also awesome at the same time. I said, look, maybe there's just an opportunity here to make this yeah. more, just more seamless and easy for people like me to do this uh, globally. And so in, an, in, in essence, that's what Sidestory became. A whole bunch of amazing insiders, experts in their field, uh, and as travelers, you or I could find these people and mm -hmm. have a way to meet them and do experiences and get an insight into the city. Sounds, uh just instinctively, it sounds really labour-intensive because I imagine I'm, I'm imagining you sitting on the phone calling yeah. photographers and yeah. cooks and yeah. you know all yeah. over the world and yeah. sort of stitching this all together, wasn't yeah. it? So it was it was to start, and you know I was fortunate to meet uh, a couple of amazing people, ex Wallpaper, who helped in sort of that first Wallpaper cadre magazine, magazine yeah. indeed, and help you know sort of bring that first cadre of insiders. Mm -hmm. And then actually there's a there, there is a little bit of a virtuous circle that kicks in, and a lot of people when they saw it started reaching out, going well. How can I get involved? So they started totally yeah. getting involved. To you. Yeah. The I think initially yes is the answer. Sometimes yeah. early stuff doesn't scale and that would be a good example <laughs> of that. So how did you get it to a scalable stage? Well, was it the we, network effect of people then started coming to you? Yeah, so there's a, there's a little bit of that. We got very, very good at figuring out early who, qualifying early who were the right kind of people. Yeah. Um, we never actually expanded this, but um, in the end Mr. and Mrs. Smith uh, acquired the business before we did it. But what we realized actually was that it, it, even, even and they've sort of since taken it on, but the, there, there are individuals out there who have these amazing superpowers and you can find them and interact with them, so that's great. But what they are also are amazing organizations, quite small, but are set up in cities around the world. And actually that's an area where you can scale quite more efficiently because right. they're already set up locally to yeah. do this. They've already figured out who are the right people. Uh, and so I guess it's a network of a network. Yeah. Um, yeah. The but to scale more broadly, the idea was to, to kick off at the sort of top end, quite high quality, yeah. uh, or quite unique and different. But then sort of open up yeah. 
in a more scalable fashion for other people to sort of step into right. to the fold. Uh, again, that was sort of future vision stuff. Yeah. One day that might happen. What was the period between starting the company and being acquired? Because it, it feels short. It was, yeah, and, li and a little unusual actually. Probably roughly three years. Three years. Three years. And yeah. were you bootstrapping it? Were you getting funded? You were bootstrapping. I bootstrapped uh, to start along with uh, one of my co-founders and uh, we raised some funding as well. Okay. Uh, some early angel funding yeah. uh, to help um, in that process. So yeah, that that was that was where we got to. There was a few other ideas on how to raise additional funds, um, which didn't quite work as expected. Right. But you know that's part of the journey too. Um, and the acquisition sort of came across two fronts: um, some professional, some personal too. I was expecting our second and. I think it was just one of the, you know, having gone through a couple of different instances of where we could take it to the next level and not having quite worked out, I, I sort of felt like the Mr. and Mrs. Smith thing was too good to turn down. And it yeah. was just a good opportunity. It was good for them. It was good for us. Uh, and, uh, and it worked. So Well, congratulations uh, to take a, a business from a standing start to acquisition in three years is impressive. Uh, without any serious funding, angel investment maybe, but yeah, uh, yeah, no, not big funding. Um, and that's taken you into uh, the, the, uh, the current phase of your life. You're uh, director of a, a few companies, yes. uh, us two, Wayfinder. Yes. Um, I think you're still an advisor on Mr. and Mr. and Mrs. Smith, is that right? Uh, more, more informally. Informally. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was shortly after the acquisition, but that ended. Uh, and so, yeah, we'll look, we chat, but yeah, more informally. So your proper day job now is um, at Founders Intelligence. It is, yes. Uh, we'll link it below. <laughs> Tell us about it. Yeah, so um, Founders Intelligence, look, I, uh, Brent Hoberman, for those who don't know him, was uh, founder of lastminute.com many years ago, a very successful entrepreneur himself. and. Uh, and, and an investor in a number of other significant businesses, but in and around that he created the Founders Forum, which is a, a network event that's taken place in London and now in other major cities around the world for the last 15 odd years. And as part of that organization, he created a consultancy called Founders Intelligence. Right. And uh, I think for the, the story that I'm sort of getting and hearing is, you know, a lot of corporates uh, would attend these, a few select corporates would be able to come to these events where founders could come and speak. Uh, yeah. I know you've had Ricardo and, and um, Reid Hoffman and Richard Branson and others, you know, very yeah. you know, significant players, I guess, in the entrepreneurial community come to these, these single days. Big corporates come too, and they're like, yeah. I want some of that magic. I want some of that secret sauce. I want the yeah, exactly. energy, innovation, yeah, and innovation. And um, so long story short, you know, Founders Intelligence helps in that process, helps think about future strategy, yeah. corporate innovation. Uh, but does it in such a way that helps those companies understand um, how they can work with startups as a way of sort of energizing and, and, and activating very quickly on some of these ideas that yeah. they may have internally. Yeah. So that's Founders Intelligence at its core. Fantastic. Yeah. In closing, uh, there's um, probably people watching who are at an early stage in their career or maybe thinking about yeah. starting a business themselves. Any parting wisdom? Parting wisdom? Right. Parting wisdom. I think, yeah, the, the, um, it's something that I wish I had read um, a long time ago. Peter Drucker, famous uh, management guru, uh, wrote Managing Oneself. Uh, and um, it's an HBR article. I think it's one of the top read. Um, but the core thing about it is knowing your strengths. And, and so I think for anyone sort of early in their career or even midway through their career, I think it's just really reflecting, certainly at key moments, 
what are your strengths? Yeah. Play into strengths. I think there's a lot of talk. I mean, I'm sure you, you and I have both been in these situations where, yeah, strengths, great, 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 but what are my weaknesses? You know, like, and then how to mitigate those. And, and those are important exercises to go through, but I think what I've, uh, I'm learning and, you know, have learned is just really think very thoughtfully about what are your strengths? Play to those. I think both personal and professional happiness comes through uh, getting that right, getting that balance right. Finding your sweet spot. Totally. Well, it's an impressive uh, archipelago uh, of a career with, uh, <laughs> I'm sure, many more islands to go. Yes, yes. yeah, no, an uh, exciting adventure. Yeah. You're, a, you're an inspiration, Giovanni. Thank you very right. much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. <laughs>